welcome back thank you again for listening to the remix podcast we are back this week with a new and ultimately insightful episode we have a guest Personally, like the guest to introduce herself. Okay, so my name is Amy and I am a chair of governors. Um, I work very closely with one particular school in Birmingham, but I do um, work with other schools as well. Awesome. And other co-hosts, would you like to introduce yourselves again? Lisa. And Shani. Awesome. Same names, so I think everyone knows us now. I say this every episode, but surely by now I feel like you have to have known our voices. So, but yeah, first of all, thank you for coming on, Amy. Um, how's your day been? It's the Friday evening we're recording, so how's how's your week been? In fact, it's been all right. It's okay, busy, but um, but good, productive. The right word, I think. You got much planned for the weekend coming up? Not really, no. So where I live in the middle of Birmingham, they are considering another localised lockdown. So we haven't got many plans really at the moment. So yeah. Oh, for real? Yeah. Is that going to affect work and stuff? Are they going to stop you um, going in? I'll probably just stay at home like I have been for the last three months. So that's cool. Yeah, they're talking about returning to the office. So I'm going to need a, a localised lockdown in London. <laughs> ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm playing. But um, yeah, no, that's pretty much what I think they're talking about that coming down to London anyway. There's been rumours of that with everything going up. So, but hopefully it's all, all over because I need to be off on holiday. In fact, by the time this comes out, I would have been on holiday if everything goes right. Making us hear you come. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't need to tell them where I'm going. I know. I'm oh, oops, oops. When I come back. <laughs> Delete that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because before this, Lisa was talking about how she um she frees up information sometimes when she has a drink, <laughs> and I don't even think she's had a drink, but she's. No, I, I Look just... at her face, the shock. <laughs> Clearly, this is an air about Lisa podcast, but um, okay, <laughs> that was offline, but yes. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, okay, now nah, you know what, let's, let's We still love you. We still love you, Lisa. Oh gosh. But today we're laughing, but we're actually here to talk about another serious topic. One that is also close to my heart, as many of them are. But this one in particular, I think because I've got children and being a young boy once upon a time, it is something that affected me and something that I saw growing up. So it is a huge topic. The topic today that we are going to discuss is, Shani. Is. Is about education and systemic racism in the education system. We're going to be focusing a lot on the achievement and attainment of young black boys. And Ed, back to you. (laughs) Was that you put me back in the spot because I put you on the spot? Yes, yes. You did all right. It wasn't practice, so I thought, let's check whether you paid attention. But yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. So today it's mainly concentrating on systemic racism in the educational system. I think this links on quite well to one of our earlier podcasts that we had with Adam, um, an ex-police officer, uh, where we were talking about institutional racism throughout the police force. Um, There was a key stat that he mentioned in there um, where we kind of spoke about the prison, I mean, school to prison pipeline. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a stat that said 97% of pupils who were permanently expelled from school would end up with a prison sentence at some point in their life. Now, 
I thought that was incorrect because it was so st- staggering. Um, but it actually is a fact. Um, again, we'll put some information out when this podcast is released. Um, and I thought it would be best to try and understand then how is this also linked into some of the issues that we're seeing in the judicial system? Where does it start? And what are some of the causes as to why we're seeing so many um, young black boys, especially being unproportionately or disproportionately, sorry, that's some crazy English. It's a late on a Friday evening. But um, disproportionately being expelled from school and ultimately ending up in prison at some point in their life. So I guess the first question we need to ask is, where does this start? What is what's going on? I think Amy, you'd probably be best suited to 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 kind of start this off. You've been a governor with the school, and you see where some of the issues start. So, absolutely. So, um, for me, and in the area I work, I would always say that it all. The issue starts from when they're at primary school, but it doesn't really manifest itself until um, our young black boys are getting to high school. So for me, um, when I joined the school that I was at, I won't mention the school's name for obvious reasons, but when I joined that school, it was very telling to me um, that our black boys were being failed. So they were attaining less than their white counterparts, but they were also attaining less than their... um, than our black girls. So for me as a governor, it was about accountability. I wanted to know why this was happening. Why are we letting these children mm. fail? So some of it is um, some of it is perception. Some of it is, oh, you know, our kids don't do well because we don't get um, supportive parents. But when we actually dug a bit deeper, quite a lot of our parents who are supportive were our black parents. So that sort of expels that myth. And and some of it as well is, um, you know, perception of other children as well. So children don't believe they can achieve if people around them don't mm. think that they'll achieve. So um, when I joined the school as a governor, I said, right, I want to know why, uh, you know, why I've got boys that have got a reading age of seven and eight and they're nine and ten. Mm. And... Um, all we did was we set up a task force and we said, and I made, I made our teachers and I made our head teacher accountable for them. I said, let's not, you know, let's not focus all of our energy on children that are doing well to make them better. Let's, let's go for the ones who aren't doing well at all. Let's try and get them to a stage where we can um, get them to their age related attainment. Um, a lot of what we see, we are in a very deprived area. We're in a failing um, authority. So where I am in Birmingham, it's a failing education authority. A lot of our black boys are in yeah. households without a father. Okay. So, you know, some would say, oh, well, it's down to the parents, isn't it? You know, if, they're, if their um, dads aren't there, then they're sort of setting their kids up to fail. But it's something that we, we've talked about before. When, when you take the father out of the home, you know, children don't realise it, but they're naturally trying to take that role on themselves. So we might have yeah. children in our class who, you know, their white counterparts are just worried about doing their homework, reading, you know, their book and getting on. And we've got black children, black boys with responsibility. Sometimes it's mythical. Sometimes their parents don't expect them to take that baton and run with it and be the, you know, the father figure in that household. But unfortunately, as humans, we will mimic that behaviour. So we do see a lot of that in our area. And um, for us, it's about taking children back, making them understand 
their education is important because it's you know essentially if we seal in their education at school they're going to be part of that 97 percent you know whether we like it or not um so it's a bit of a two-sided story really the other thing for me that i think is really really important with um our school and schools in other um ethnic minority predominant areas is that we need to see more black ethnic minority people on these school governing boards because i mean i can i will share with you an example of um a boy that uh comes to my school and I won't say his name, but if I can tell you that he was the bane of my life for a very long time, um, we had real problems with this boy. And we had problems with him because he's like one of the brightest stars you'll ever meet. He's very articulate. He can do anything with a computer. Very, very clever boy. So I had the head teacher phone me up and say, we've got an incident coming and see me. Went in to see her. It turns out that our bright, shining star of a boy is so bright that he set up a YouTube channel. You know, most kids can do that at that age, but he's getting hundreds of thousands of hits on this YouTube channel and he's managed to set up a PayPal, which he shouldn't be doing until he's 18. And he's almost started to earn an income of the hit because he's getting so many hits. So, again, if you haven't got a very good faculty that don't even understand what he's doing, that's a problem. So it turned out the reason he was getting all these hits is because he was able to use um, search engine optimization and hide certain words in these mm. YouTube videos that he was putting out there. And these are videos of, like, you know, kids seeing which trainers run the fastest or, you know, playing um, Kirby, how many curbs can you get, you know, really innocent videos. But what he'd done is he'd masked really um, sexual words in with their titles so that he could get more hits. Mm. So, you know, my head teacher was distraught. She was like, "What, Amy, what do I do with him? She said, I personally, you know, don't want to get, get him out of the school, don't want to expel him. She said, but realistically, we've got children with their uniform on in these videos with sexual words tagged to them. So, yeah. you know, like I said, we need to take it to the governing body. Now, our governing body, apart from me, is all white women. Yeah. And all of our governing body came back and said, oh, that's terrible. That's awful. That's a really bad thing that he's done. And we need to get rid of him. We need to expel yeah. him. And then, the you know, what do you do? What do you do? So he, he sounds like he sounds like an actual talented, very bright pupil as opposed to a troublemaker. He's a genius. Like, yeah. a, he is. It's a baby. It's a genius. Just a misunderstood, <laughs> misunderstood maybe. Is, Correct. Is the word. Absolutely misunderstood. So then when they brought this to me as a as a group of governors and they decided mm. we think the best course of action for him, what he's done is absolutely outrageous. We don't want him mixing with our child. We don't want our children on the internet in these videos that are tagged with sexual words. We want mm. you to exclude him permanently. So then I've got distraught parents saying, you know, we've tried everything with him. We've tried to put locks on things and he's just so clever. He gets past all that, you know, all that mm. sort of thing on their internet. So we had to use the resources that we've got. Now, look, looking for looking for that child, and, and some people might disagree, but looking for that child, I see him differently. I see him differently to all of the governing body. And, mm. and some would say, oh, that's because you're really compassionate, Amy. And it's not. It's because I too am black. So when I look at him, I relate to him. I understand mm. the pressures of, you know, like the culture, like his parents come in, they were like, right, that's it, we'll take him to church. He, he obviously needs something, <laughs> you know, he needs something because this is not the way we Lord raised him. Yeah, exactly. So instantly when you can connect to someone, you see like the pressures at home. And this is from a family of achievers. They might be in a poor area where we live, but 
his dad's a doctor, his mum's a doctor, they're a family of achievers. So if he is out of the school system, nothing good is going to come come from it. Do you know what I mean? Very bright boy. So, so we're, you know, what, what do you do with that? What do you do with it? So with that, so like, I remember when we, we spoke to you earlier on, um, uh, I think it was last week or earlier on this week, in fact, you mentioned stuff about how this doesn't, it's, this isn't a norm until later on in a boy's life. So yeah. I know you mentioned some of the reasons, like some of them, uh, if they're growing up in fatherless homes, are yeah. feeling like they need to become breadwinners and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be a, an almost quite clear cut time when this changes from black boys excelling in their classes yeah. and being at the top of their years to then suddenly becoming underachievers. And I use the term loosely because yeah. I don't think they are underachievers. Um, and this tends to be kind of around the age of year 11. <clears throat> I guess yeah. kind of stepping into year seven, right? That's crossing over from, from yeah, so, junior yeah, yeah. school to, yeah. to high school, secondary school. Mm-hmm. What are, so uh, is it those reasons that you mentioned that's, that you'd actually think that's, that's why it happens at 11? So I think, I think it's a number of reasons. I think mm. a big reason that is probably quite controversial to be fair, Ed, I think when you are black or when you've got black children or if you've got children that are ethnic minority, from an early age, these children, rightly or wrongly, are taught that life's going to be difficult for them straight away. They're taught that because of what we teach them. They're taught that because of how we treat them. And of course, if you keep saying to someone, you walk down that road and, you know, that man's going to kick you, they're waiting for that man to kick them. So simple as that. So as soon as they become a little bit older, in my opinion, a little bit more aware of the world, all the things that they've been taught, it's either going to be proved in life or disproved. So the first time that 12-year-old kid gets stopped and searched, that's it. We have proved to that child as a society, everything we've told him is true. You're going to struggle because you're a black boy. You are going to have, you know, people are going to ask you what you're doing, why you're doing it and and, and what your intention is to do. And then, unfortunately... We do that because we're fearful and we do that because we want to prepare them. Yeah. And then the world goes and proves us right every time. Mm. So they start to become disillusioned with their environment. They start to become disillusioned with, you know, what's going on around them because we've told them that the world's a bad place. And then say, yeah, it is actually. Because you see with that, right? So I'm conflicted in terms of like, mm-hmm. I was, when I was growing up, I was taught a lot of those things. Like you're saying, my parents told me, um, you know, you've got to work twice as hard to get the same results. Yeah. You know, you've got to, you're going to be prepared for all of this and prepared for all of that. And for me, I kind of grew up not waiting for it, but I can imagine if I didn't know that, some of the things that were occurring as I was going through secondary school or getting through life, generally speaking, mm-hmm. would have affected me far more Yeah. if I wasn't prepared for it. Because I'm looking at it from the angle of, all right, if I've... If, I know that X, Y, and Z is happening. I, c- I know what it, the cause of it is, and it's nothing to do with my ability or who I am as a person. So it's weird. It's, I don't like it. I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, yeah. but it's kind of like, it's, a, it's weird to kind of find that balance between the two. Absolutely. preparing or giving, and, and not saying giving an excuse, but for it to be, for, like you're waiting for it to happen, and when it happens straight away, it's right. That's why it is. And so if I can't win, then I'm not going to bother. Yeah. Do you, th- do you think there's a piece there about low expectation of black boys? Absolutely. And that, dis- and that disengages them. And then Absolutely. you kind of have a cycle. And, th- and that's why I think at that age, and, and remember, like when, when you're in a primary school, 
there's always an environment of nurture usually because you get them as babies essentially you know some of them they go to primary school they, they can't go to the toilet by themselves some of them there's a very nurturing environment and you know your class sizes are smaller obviously if you're in a poorer area you probably if you're in a poorer area there'll be more black ethnic minority people so you know you'll be overpopulated in your school your school's probably underfunded so you'll have bigger class sizes as soon as you start going up through the education system, time is a resource. So, you know, if, if you're naughty in high school, yeah. you'd be out. If you're naughty in primary school, somebody might sit and, and work with you. So yeah. it's, it's, it swings and roundabouts, really, because I, I totally believe in preparing, preparing children. And I think it's right to say, you know, the, the world does look on us differently. You know, you, you're black the world does look at you differently that's a fact the world does look at you differently and I think for me where the where the world changes for our young black boys is that in primary school we can still say the world looks at you differently but I don't I still want you to work I still want you to achieve because the relationship's different you've got the time to look at a child you've got the time to nurture them bring them on and then they sort of get to high school things are about statistics you know are they going to do well no should I spend my time there? Probably not. You know, I think we can't we can't pretend that when a child goes into a class that they're a blank canvas because they're not. Yeah. Because they will bring their emotional, they'll bring what they're taught, they'll bring their culture, they'll bring everything with them. And if you are not yeah. a nurturing environment, if you can't treat people according to their needs, which you can't in certain certain areas in this country, you are oversubscribed in every school. You will never, ever be able to give a child what they need holistically. So I think that's where that's where that fine line is that we talk about. Once someone's experienced, oh, they're doing that to me because I'm black. Well, I knew that was going to happen anyway, you know. And also, we have to think about at their age, they're full of hormones anyway. People don't make rational decisions when they're going through puberty. So someone's already mm-hmm. said, I'm not going to spend my time on that person. And they've gone, you know what, why am I bothering? Why would I bother? Mm-hmm. That person cares mm-hmm. nothing about me. They don't know me. Why would I bother? And and that's think, sorry, Shani. I think it's, it's exactly that, isn't it? It's that as a parent, it's that fine line of um, do I do I prepare my child for all of the hardships that they're uh-huh. going to face, or am I jading them? But I think that preparedness is important. Absolutely. If they're like exactly what you say, if they're going to be in an in an environment where they're then nurtured afterwards. If they're in an environment where, you know, and, and you know, if, if you're a single parent, single working parent, and you've told your child, this is what's going to happen to you, and they come back from school and something bad's happened, and they don't have that environment where they can kind of offload, and you can then say, I know I said it was going to happen, but don't worry, it's not the end of it. If, if there's not that feedback loop, loop, whether it be at school or at home, that's when the, that's when the child falls through the cracks. So I don't think there's anything wrong per se, but it's just making sure that we've got that food. Absolutely. Whether it's, you know, family, extended family, community, school, whatever it is. But at the moment we don't, which is why so many black boys are just disengaged from the system. And that's what's so important, you know, so important. At the end of the day, black boys become black men. You know, I have been to so many schools in the, the city that I'm from and there is not a black male on the board of governors. So who is that child to relate to? Who is that child to aspire to? You know, I'm not saying, you know, we should have a quota. No, we shouldn't. But, you know, it's it's very important. It's important that our black boys see that, you know, life will, will be more challenging than for your white counterparts. 
but it doesn't mean that you can't achieve. It doesn't mean you can't get what you need to get. Will it be harder? In some instances, yeah. yes, it will. But about, it's, um, it's important. Sorry to interject. How about head, headmasters? I mean, mm-hmm. if we're thinking about leadership and relatability, are there that many black headmasters that you've seen in your experience where the black boys can aspire to see leadership in their younger years? So from my point of view, we do not have many black headmasters, head teachers. We don't have many black teachers in senior leadership positions. Um, we quite often see a lot of, um, you know, this is another podcast here, but we quite often see a lot of black NQTs, newly qualified teachers, but actually they disproportionately do not pass their NQT year. So that's that's another pass, that's another podcast mm-hmm. we talk about that. But, um, but yeah, it, it's very... Um, it's difficult really because you're right there is that aspiration in education um but for me it's it's about more than that i think it'd be i would love to see more black head teachers especially where i mean in the middle of birmingham it's almost criminal that we haven't got any do you know what i mean we're, we're right in the middle of birmingham here it's crazy it's crazy we don't have any and all of our head teachers know? are white and middle class most of yeah. them women i mean you said you said something and i think um it almost sums up the loop that i'm in so we spoke about the prison, the uh, yeah. school to prison pipeline. And then we also spoke about a lot of boys growing up in fatherless homes, um, yeah. for example. A lot of the time, it can be down to things like incarceration. Um, is it incarceration in this country? It's an American That's very American, actually. Uh, it is very American, <laughs> isn't it? But be, being, being in prison and things like that, you often hear a lot of that happening. Um, and you hear a lot of boys who maybe their parent has been to prison or those kind of things there. What we start to see is, is that cycle almost continuing itself because you've sent potentially taken a child out of school there and then by permanently expelling them. You've yeah. almost handed them a prison sentence at some point in their life. It Absolutely. might be six months, it might Absolutely. be a serious one. You're now allowing potentially that, his, that next generation to grow up with that absence in their life. And then this kind of thing continues to perpetuate itself. And I think when we talk about things that are systemic or institutional, it is a system of things, not individual things, but a system that allows certain trends and things to continue. And that affects how some of the boys may grow up. Now, you mentioned also about nurturing. And it's something that we've spoken about on a kind of work level in the office where we feel that when you're doing a job, for example, you feel like you're carrying your whole race in your back. Um, you can't afford to make that mistake. And you feel that if you make that mistake, it's seen badly as not not Ed's made a mistake, but yeah. you know, black guys, black men maybe aren't the best person for this job and subconsciously yeah. kind of move on from it. I kind of feel it can be brought down to children as well. Absolutely. I remember back in school, there were some of these kids that were like if if Horrid Henry was a real person, it would be one of them. It was the kid that was doing foolishness, swinging on the chair. Teacher comes in, no, f you. What? <laughs> like, that's the kind of um, the kind of students that you had, and they were just always in trouble, always outside the uh, the headmaster's office, always. Yeah. But they never got permanently expelled, and it was kind of like handholding. Oh, don't worry, you know, you'll be. Um, yeah, you'll be all right. Like, oh no, I'll, then they'll put an assistant teacher with them to sit in them with the classroom mm-hmm. and do all of those things. Now, I didn't get that. I wasn't the worst behaved child. I, I did have a slick. Horrid Ed. <laughs> no, I wasn't quite that bad. <laughs> I had, I had a, 
I had a bit of a slick mouth, but I wasn't. I wasn't a bad. I wouldn't say I was a bad child. Mm-hmm. But for example, there were times when something would happen, and straight away you're kicked out, or it's suspended, or mm-hmm. it's whatever. And I did feel that sometimes you didn't get the same, the same kind of level of of chance given. I don't know where I, I don't know where it was. And sometimes teachers would hide it behind the, oh, but we believe that you have so much more potential. That's why it's so disappointing when you're doing this. But it's like. This doesn't make sense. Absolutely. You really, you, you're saying that it's because I have potential that you're going harder on me, but it's like you're kicking me out for the slightest thing when, when instead of nurturing or, or giving me that same love that you're giving to somebody else, which is frustrating. I think it's it's a question of, like, why are black boys not allowed to make mistakes? Why is it that black boys are almost not allowed to be children? They're not allowed to... You know, just make a silly mistake like their white counterparts. Mm. As soon yeah. as they make that mistake, the heavy-handed, you know, the iron fist comes down, and you've got so much more potential. You should be behaving. So, in, like you say, it's counterproductive. You've got so much potential. Instead of them saying, "Let's work with you to build this," they go, "Well, we're going to cut you off from, mm. you know, that source of education that you need to fulfil that potential." Absolutely. I think just because I think they're just deemed more disruptive. I think there's a lot of perception on black boys that they're disruptive. And if they're not handled a certain way, they're going to be worse. So I think they've kind of dealt with with an iron rod. Whereas yeah. if Tom if Tommy does something, he's expressive, he's expressing himself. And I think if you know a black boy does something, it's you know reprimand him, exclude him, you know. But... Yeah, and I think um, and and that's I, I've seen that. I've absolutely seen that in schools. Um, mm. You know, and I'm not saying my school's perfect. But I will absolutely say to you that when my governors bring anything to me, I will tell you now they're 100% aware that I'm black. So it doesn't matter what they're bringing to me. They'll have thought about it, discussed it, discussed it and refined it, then they'll bring it to me. And when they talk to me, and I always say, I mean, I'm probably a bit controversial when it comes to governors, but I say, don't talk to me about any child unless I know that child's name. I always want to hear a child's name. and I always want to individualise them because, you know, it's my favourite phrase, but treating everyone fairly is not treating them the same. People are different. Yeah. People have different needs. So for me, when my governors come to me, there's a level of expectation and accountability that I have for them. And I have that same level of expectation and accountability for my head teacher. So she says to me, I want to exclude one of our black boys that we've been working really hard on to get to their attainment level. She knows the barrage of questions she's going to get. What could we do differently? Is there anything that we've done here? Can we change this? Why do we, Why would we need to exclude him? Is there nothing we can do? So like my boy, we didn't exclude him in the end. We looked at our resources. We are a trust school, so we're paired up with a local football association, and that's where he goes. That's he, To him, that's a treat because he loves doing all these things with computers and all that sort of stuff. So we send him over there a couple of days a week with um, the football club, who love it because he's brilliant. He's better than any of the adults that have been doing their social media and all that sort of stuff he's brilliant he's a genius and for us that's you know they're children at the end of the day so there is a little bit of carrot and stick but he knows you know he's just got to toe the line he's one of our brightest children unfortunately the way the the education system is we don't teach to the fastest speed we teach to the slowest so if you've got bright boys and and you know it's well documented that our black boys are they're a lot brighter than their counterparts given the right environment 
and and yeah. that's that's the issue isn't it if we're teaching to the slowest speed all the time you know the devil makes work for idle hands if they're sat there bored we're gonna you know we get that disruption in a class we get that sort of sort of issue so what why do you think there's that continuous stigma that black boys are failing is it because there isn't that relatability from say teachers or headmasters in regards to how to treat them or how to deal with them how to get the best out of them do you know what with that i don't i, I feel like that stigma comes from all of the other reasons as to why they're not being pushed to the level that they can be so mm. for example if um all we're seeing is that black boys are being suspended or yeah. every time everything that you see in the media is you know related to crime or young black boys and gang culture and this that and the other yeah naturally that stigma starts to almost live itself out because it's that's what everyone assumes mm. so there's it's i think that's where it's come from if we're if they're not given the opportunity all the time to succeed then you're going to always see the failures and that's what's going to stick out a little bit more and I think that's why that's where we're getting that stigma, and it's a wrong stigma, which is is really like yeah, I, it's I, I don't know how to get rid of it, yeah. but I, I I think that's a stigma that I've seen for quite a long time. I suppose it goes to as well that thing of if you've got a child who's exceptionally bright in your class, and he or she is being held back, they're gonna mess up. And we, you know, I I see it. I was one of those kids who was brighter than I was bored, and boredom makes you yeah. yeah act of fall like boredom makes you find things to make you not bored and I think and that's that's the thing isn't it and some some of it is curriculum some of it is you bring curriculum to kids and unfortunately now like we you know the kids have we we laughed about this the other day but kids have got the world at their fingertips it's no longer in carter 95 they can get anything they want at the click of a thing of a finger so Realistically, um, it's, it's about having an, an engaging curriculum. And we've talked about this before, but, you know, as, as black governor, as black chair of governors, it's massively on my agenda that we promote a diverse curriculum because yeah. we're preparing these kids for the rest of their life. If they think the rest of their life is white middle class men, then, of course, that they're already failing before they start. There's nothing to mm. aspire to. You know, it's and I'm very, very, you know, I'm almost militant. You know, I said to my governors, I said, right, I want you to go and find a list of people who black people can aspire to. And they were like, brilliant. And then I set the rules on them. I said, I don't want any singers. I don't want any dancers. And I don't want anyone that does sport. And they all just looked at each other. I said, which one was going to bring me Usain Bolt? You know, we've got, you know, I I want more for our children. So we want to make sure it's you know in in their curriculum if you haven't got a good board that will force that in and you know change the readers that you're you're reading about change the stories they're hearing about talk about black history in a way that's empowering you're already teaching children you know this world isn't for you but if you do well you'll be all right right. you know the thing is this is this is i think just to clarify this is almost a bit of like a black lives matter all lives situation um all lives matter situation this isn't us just saying Black boys need to be, you know, given special attention because... Oh, it is, Ed. It is. Special, it is, It is, Ed. It is. Not special treatment. It is, because what but happens is this. We get our statistics. Sorry to cut you there. Yeah, and when yeah. we get our statistics, it's all outlined, and we see these kids are achieving, these kids are achieving, these kids are not achieving. Do you know, I'm not going to go biblical here, but I'm not going to run after the sheep that ain't lost. I want to mm-hmm. bring the kids that aren't achieving oh, no, no, no. back. I mean, but I do, we do treatment. need to give I mean, them special treatment. It's special treatment in regards we're paying extra attention to them. It's not preferential treatment. What we're saying is that 
it, it, when I say that, I think the the term was wrong. When I say it's not preferential, yeah. as in if you both do the same foolishness, we're going to not suspend the black boy, but its white counterpart will get suspended or vice versa. What we're saying is that needs to be now spread across the board because we're seeing that one group in particular is not getting yeah. that same that that same love in the first place. And yeah. I think by by doing that, and that goes right down to some of the issues that we've spoken about when you talk about representation. When you mention stuff like we're not getting that, you see some of these children as they could be your nephew, your Absolutely. own, they could be anyone. Yeah. When we have that kind of proportionate representation amongst teachers and governors and, and headmasters and stuff, I think naturally we're going to start to see some of those things um, start to align themselves a little bit more because it's not going to be that disconnect. Very much like when we spoke about the police. Yeah. And you're getting police from an, an area outside of London who have no real connection with any person from an ethnic background other than when they're policing and dealing and responding to a crime there's no kind of personal connection where it's like okay i'm actually going to try and understand what you're dealing with or how i can actually help this situation it's just i'm here with a very black and white view of what it is and it works the other way so what by by the time a child's 11 if all the white teachers or all the white middle class teachers have presented a particular view by the time that child's 11 what yeah. what do they expect from their teachers? You know, we're not you know, we're not the best school in the world. We're very good. We're not the best. But when mm. our kids come in, when they first start, you know, we have a contract that says, We expect this from you. We want you to do this. Yeah, yeah. But we've we've changed it now. So they can tell the teacher, well, we expect this from you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a two way situation, education is. And yeah. I think that's why we lose them. That's why we lose our boys at eleven, because all they see is one view. You know, if you ask any kid, black, white, whatever, if you ask any kid, oh, um, who's your favourite teacher? They will almost always relate to that teacher having a connection with them. Don't matter who it was, don't matter if they were the best teacher or the worst teacher, they'll be the best teacher to that child because they're connected with them. Yeah. So I think, if, yeah, sorry, Shen. But I was going to say, I think there's something about meeting um, black kids at the point of need. I think with black boys having this perception and having this kind of stigma attached, it's almost like there's been this issue everyone's aware of and it's allowed to be an issue and no one's going in there with a fix. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that fix needs to be the priority. Yeah. It's not like you can just write off black boys with all the same issue, but there needs to be something where you kind of go in there and you try and fix what the issue is as opposed to kind of just, you know. Yeah, because that's why we have these statistics. I mean, if we've got a kid that's off school for five weeks for no reason mm. other than his parent doesn't want to send him, I tell you now, it affects the school's statistics and we throw every bit of resource we've got at getting that kid back into school. So for me, if a child who is capable, if a black child who is capable is missing the mark, every bit of resource we've got goes to that child. Mm -hmm. And to to me, that's that's very simple. That's very, very simple. But um, I think institutionally... You've got to be able to see the potential in that child. You've got to be able to see that, you know, the connection. You've got to have that. Otherwise, you're not going to fight for it. You've got to have skin in the game. If you, if there's nothing, if it's not going to affect you, and unfortunately, as we know, you know, some people are in jobs. It's a vocation for someone. It's a job for others. So, right. you know, it's about making your faculty accountable and, you know, getting the diversity in a faculty. Yeah. So, so go one thing I wanted to ask about is because we spoke about history very briefly, but I just want to go back to that because 
you mentioned just there about having you know if 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 the teachers have this perception of this child and they're not wanting more from that child but equally if that child has always been taught um about struggle in terms of their history in terms of black history um they're not going to want more for themselves and even at you know the kind of tender age of 11 once they start to kind of go down that slippery track where you know the teachers don't expect anything from you and you've never been taught that you're brilliant um that that then kind of manifests itself in in failure up the chain absolutely i'm just wondering like what your thoughts are because i can vividly remember being taught about the aztecs when i was in primary school but i never was taught about any black history prior to slavery so i'm just wondering if they can dig that far back about the aztecs you know what are your thoughts about introducing substantive meaningful impactful black history into the curriculum so so for us that was massively high on my agenda when i um started with my school and i said look you know and the, and the worst thing is now the, the the lie that we're told is that we haven't got resources but the government give it to us so we have got the resources we've got that money you know black history is high up there on priorities even if to some it's a box ticking exercise it doesn't mean we haven't got the resources so it's down to the to the school so um, that was massively up there for me and my head teacher she is absolutely brilliant and you know it, it's a if we had a pound for every time we use the phrase we don't want black children to think their history started with slavery and ended with Martin Luther King none of that's a lie but there's more there's more to where you came from and there's more um, so for us we have um, implemented and this is the second term of it now second full term mm. we'll be going into it so we've implemented um, a very diverse black history so we don't just do it on black history month it's part of our history that's it we've got children we've got children from everywhere it's ingrained in what we do so we talk about warriors i mean the, the funny funny thing as well we they did ancient egypt a couple of years ago and uh one of our girls and i really wish i could tell you a name but i can't for data protection but it's a really good name um she uh it's just it's brilliant um she'd drawn uh cleopatra and one of the kids in the class went you've done that wrong she was like well she went because cleopatra wasn't black and and my baby girl at school she turned around and she went she's from africa do you not even know where (laughs) egypt is you know like with kids you're just like hello but, but i can tell you now the child that she was talking to won't be the only person that didn't know Egypt was in Africa. We'll have parents that didn't know that that's a situation. Or even if it was in Africa, that they were actually black that they were black in, in Egypt. Yes. It's now, I think now people look at modern Egypt and see a kind of uh, the Arabic yeah. influence. Um, but that wasn't the case before. Um, of course. There, there's a of lot course. of stuff, even when we're talking about the Bible and all of that stuff, but that's a whole other conversation. But, <laughs> and yeah, it, yeah. a lot of it's been whitewashed. Exactly. And we, and we try, we try with our kids. We try and put not just Black History Month, but we try and make Black History a part of everything we do. So when we do topic work and we do like, you know, um, we talk about pioneers, people who invented things, it's you know it's on my head teacher's list that she needs to go and find somebody black that's invented lots of things because I want my kids to be able to say actually so and so did this so and so invented the, um, the filament for the light bulb we did the traffic light you know you want that you don't want them to think that 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 they've never contributed to society because what they don't think they've done they will not do so if they feel they've never contributed they won't contribute. Mm-hmm. 
True. Can I, will you just indulge me for a few minutes so that I can tell you some of the black inventors that have created things that you may never have actually thought of before? One of the things that I think is absolutely brilliant is, and, and because we send gifts to each other all the time, G-I-F-S, mm-hmm. um, a lady called Lisa Jello, Jellobta, I'll put this, we'll put this in the notes, created the gift. The person who created the the filament in the um, in the light bulb that you just mentioned was Lewis mm. Latimer, created the carbon filament. Um, Marie Van Britten Brown created CCTV security. Um, Otis Boykin, pacemaker and IBM computer. Right. Uh, Charles Drew, the blood bank. We also have um, I can't pronounce his surname, so I won't. But Jesse Ernest Wilkins, he, and for all the nerds out there, the mathematical models to explain gamma radiation, a black man. Um, Elijah McCoy, lubricators that revolutionised steam engines and railroad industry. Garrett Morgan, the gas mask and the traffic signal. Um, Mary and Mildred Davidson, the sanitary belt and tissue holder. The list is endless. Um, and unless we're teaching our black children that they can aspire to something, that they are great, that they came from greatness and they can be great. You know, everybody sees traffic lights every day, not one black child. I can, I can guarantee there are probably a handful of black children that go, a black person invented that. You know, Jack Daniel's whiskey invented by a slave. I like JD. I'm going to drink it more now, you know. So I think it's so important. And I think we should add a list of this at, at the, or a, a link of names at the end of the podcast but I think it's so important for us to to hold our black leaders and inventors in high esteem because if we don't celebrate them no one else will and our kids won't know and yeah and and that's that's what I meant Shani and earlier on when I was saying I said to to my governors I don't want to see any singers any sports people any dancers I don't take anything away from them no Mm -hmm. but I don't want my kids to think they can only be a dancer no, there can be so much. There's nothing wrong with being a dancer, but I don't want you to think that's where it stops. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I don't want them to think, yeah, I, I can be a singer because black people are good at singing. Yeah, well, mm, lots of people yeah. are good at singing. You can be whatever you want. We, you know, I don't mm. want to, you know, I don't, there's nothing, I just want to clear that up. I haven't got an issue with any black singers, dancers, or <laughs> sports, uh, sports no, athletes, not at all. But that's what, the funny thing about that is my white governors, that's what they want to come and tell me to aspire to do you know what I mean and and lord knows I'm not going to be a black sportswoman now I've had the time but (laughs) but you know like we want our children to be able to see this and that's that's the issue isn't it we we ingrain a low expectation from such a young age Mm -hmm. and then you know meeting the low expectation is meeting an expectation that's it and I I suppose if you're if you're you know, aspiring to be a singer, then you don't need to do well in school. No, because you, you can just go an X Factor. There you go. <laughs> you can just yeah, set up a YouTube channel. All these things that, you know, and it's almost like, and, you know, I'm not a conspiracist by any means, but it's almost like the world has said it's okay for you to do that. So if you mm. want to do that and make lots of money, if you want to rap and say things about women and, and other black people, it's all right. We'll let you do it because you can do that. Mm. No, we want more. And then what's, what's like the, what would you say is the, 
we, we touched on it a little bit, but what would you say is the effect if we're not learning about black history? If you're, if these children are learning that they come from struggle, like what is the, the damage to that child's psyche that's done if we don't kind of do a U-turn and, and really start to think about promoting black history in school? Well, for me, I think if you, um, whilst I'll never want to take from this topic, but I think to make it, you know, I'm not assuming anybody else out there is sick, but let's let's talk about any other topic a big thing at the moment is what people see in a magazine. If you put in a magazine all young girls at a size zero, we know that has an effect on young girls when they're grown up. So mm. why does the world not understand if we tell a group of children, a group of black children, you won't achieve, you'll go to prison, why, why is it so hard for people to understand that they're going to fit that model? Because mm. in every other walk of life, we have accepted that influence, you know, creates an outcome. Mm-hmm. But it sort of doesn't. People sort of think, well, you know, you should be, you should be striving against that influence. But you wouldn't expect anyone else to do. In fact, we we're so strong about it. We've changed the laws when it comes to models. You can't be size zero. You can't do this. You can't alter a picture. We're so serious about that. Yet we still, mm-hmm. as a society, keep saying to our black children, "You won't achieve. You won't achieve." Mm-hmm. So, and, sorry. Yeah. And, no, no, no. I was saying I was, I was just agreeing with that point at the end. And I guess it kind of almost links onto one of the other things that has happened recently. Um, the results came out for our A-levels and GCSEs. And we've spoken about one people not achieving. And unfortunately, even in the cases where we do have our students that have managed to go against that and achieve very well, we saw what happened with these new results that came out. Um, for, I guess for a little bit of background, uh, if anyone still isn't aware, there was, due to COVID, they basically scrapped the exams for A-levels and GCSEs. What that then meant was initially, everyone assumed they would just be given their predicted grades from their teachers and this is what would be used to grade everyone's results. But um, our good, good, good Prime Minister and his people decided that they were going to change it and use an algorithm. So what the algorithm does is it looks at, I think, the performance of the school over the last three years and then kind of averages out and gives a, um, a grade for the students. And it, it doesn't take the predicted grade that the teacher, correct me if I'm wrong, it, hasn't, it doesn't take the predicted grade at all into consideration. So what that meant is we, I, like, I'm on Twitter quite a lot, so I see um, quite a few of these tweets going around. And, you know, you're seeing kids who have said, I was predicted an A star, A star, A, for example, um, never got below a C in any of my exams all throughout my A-levels, yet the results came out and I got a BBC or a CCC and things like that. Um, ultimately losing out on places, I saw a girl lose out on a place in Cambridge, mm. um, which was horrible. Um, and there's been many, many of those kind of horror stories. On the flip side, uh, we saw certain schools. Do you mean um, Eton? Eton. <laughs> Do you mean Harrow? I mean, yeah, those kind of schools. I mean, there are certain common factors between those. I can't quite put my finger on it. But um, they saw unprecedented uh, increases and actual their, their, their results were higher than ever. Now, what this meant was that we've seen quite a distinct difference between who succeeded. We had a lot of the... Uh, <laughs> I guess this is a little bit more socioeconomic than anything else. We saw the upper class schools, um, which are predominantly white and 
and, and full with children who have rich parents who can afford to send them to these schools do even better. And then the public schools, which are full of children from ethnic backgrounds, were, I think, that is it 30% lower than usual? Yeah. Uh, almost 30% usual. So between the two, sorry, I didn't add, the Eton did about 30, 30% better. So we have a 60% swing in how results went. We saw how this played out and what that meant for students. I mean, f- from your view, how, what did that, how does that affect students going forward? So, I mean, you, you can be diplomatic and you can say it's down to socioeconomic, but I am nowhere near a maths genius or analytics person, but this country um, is divided up into places that are poor and places that okay. have got money. We look at poor places, they have more black and ethnic minority. We look at places with money, they have less black and ethnic mm-hmm. minority people. So I think it's a, I think it's very diplomatic of you, Ed, to say that it's socio-economic. Well, that's right. It is socio-economic, and that's what, as a country, we yeah. will say. But essentially, it affects races. You, you've cut out. Sorry, I'm here. Yeah. It is socio-economic, but yeah. take take that level of rationale away. It, it it affects particular races and particular people. Yeah. So for me, um, what that means for children, and I'll give you a per- perfect example. My husband yeah. works in a school that has a 92% Muslim intake. He works in a high school, and of that 92% uh, Muslim, in, well, all of them, all of them will either be um, black, African, Somali, or Pakistani. There's there's marginal in between. Mm. They're right in the middle of Birmingham. So, of course, they're in um, a poorer area. Uh, they're a girls' school. So, mm. normally, they do pretty well, but, you know, they, they have their challenges as well. So, when, so when their school got their A-level results my husband was beside himself and we had this lengthy conversation I was like you know Joe there'll there'll probably be a U-turn because we saw that coming Mm. and and even me who works with schools it wasn't until he turned around and said Amy this is a ticket out for some of these kids this is if they can't move on to education their lives will turn in a way where they have no control over them somebody else or their, um, you know, conditions at home, what's expected of them. You know, when when some parents say you go to uni or you go to work, they haven't got the luxury of, but if there's a coronavirus pandemic and and you don't quite get what you need to get to university, I'll let you have another year. No, no, mm. you, you go to uni or you go to work or, you know, some, some of these um, girls, a lot of them, will be young brides but if they're in education it pushes that back it pushes them back because parents are more likely to say okay you can get an education before you have to get married it's a cultural expectation my opinion is neither here nor there about it It doesn't actually matter for the purposes of this but when the government do things like that for some people in this world it will matter not at all for our people that go to Eton it will matter not at all because they will go and they will succeed. For others, it's not about waiting a year. Their life will change. 
their life will go down a road that is out of their control because at 18 we say you're an adult but you're not you're a child you, you know you're very much under the control of where you live or your socioeconomic background if you're in the middle of Birmingham and you're from um, a Somali household you've probably got siblings if you're from a Pakistani household you'll probably have a lot of siblings and and all these things will you know be taken into account so when your parents say to you right if you go to if you don't go to you've got to go to work you'll have to go to work you're never going back to uni again your life's changed and all of that for me is designed to yeah. to keep a certain group of people down with you know without yeah. sounding radical or crazy because yeah. there's no way that you you've done an algorithm to sue everybody where there can be a 60 percent swing do you yeah, know what i mean impossible. It's, it's impossible it doesn't work it, and and that is that is systemic racism that is more to me that's more blatant than issues than we've got in the police happens. service it's crazy <laughs> crazy <laughs> And a year is not a short period. I've said this to you guys before and we, we laughed and it is funny, but it's not. I took a gap year between um, A-levels and university and got pregnant. So I never advocate anybody to take a gap year at all. <laughs> I just don't. But you're absolutely right. In that year, your whole life can change. The, the trajectory that you're on can change. Um, also, I know, Ed, you were looking at the, the cost of resits, weren't you? Yeah, so it's like even that in itself, instantly alienated a lot of people so at first I looked at it and I was like oh yeah no, 128 pounds then I realized hold on wait I remember when I done GCSEs you've got per exam each module has maybe three is it three exams at a level each. yeah so then you're looking at you're doing four a levels four times three 12 times 128 pounds or whatever the reset was I haven't got a calculator to hand I have but, but I'm still not, still not that quick <laughs> What was that, it? Twelve that, times one hundred and twenty-eight. Twelve times about. Let's say I think it's like one hundred and twenty-eight pounds. Let's say let's say one hundred and twenty even for our sake of argument, right? What if you've well, got more than one child in in? Yeah. Um, right, exactly, exactly right. So that's. Let's, I'm trying to say. Talking fourteen hundred, fourteen hundred and forty quid. Fourteen hundred. Yeah. Now, I I work in what would be classed as a good, well-earning job, and if anybody came to me tomorrow and said. You know what? Can I borrow fourteen hundred quid? It's not happening. <laughs> I haven't got that kind of change of lying around to be like, yeah, just just take. And that's even somebody borrowing it. Now, you got to think if that is something that I would struggle with or or find difficult. How much more so a family who is living in a low income household to have that kind of disposable money to even go and do a reset now means that okay you have to accept what they've done. You, you got hard done by it, but there is nothing we can do right now. And you were stuck between a rock and a hard place simply because you cannot afford it. Whereas the schools that did get the higher grades, if it had been flipped on its head and they happened to fail those exams because of the algorithm, mm-hmm. I'm almost certain that their parents would have no problem throwing that money to say, go do your research. And they could pay for it, and it's not going to be—it's not going to make a huge dent in the bank account. And, and that—that's the situation, isn't it? So let's go back to my black boys for a moment. They're in a fatherless household. They feel the pressure on them to carry that house, mm. and then their sibling comes along and goes, "Do you know what? I can't go to university now. Why? Because because this algorithm's ruined my chance of getting a place." Fourteen hundred quid job in Sainsbury's at the weekend, or the bloke that sits outside our school in his big Range Rover. Carry this for me. 
carry this for me to somewhere else. Like everything is designed. Everything it's systemic. That's the word, isn't it? It's systemic. It's designed to to put a pressure on certain people. You know, it's, it, it, we could go on for we could you know go on for hours and hours. But that pressure will go into households. We know we can't afford it. We know there'll probably be black and ethnic minority. So we know a proportion of them will be in fatherless households. Mm. You know, that's probably the only person that you know in this generation that's going to go to uni or that got the place to uni already pushing them back we're pushing them back or we're saying well you can do it but you know there's a 1500 quid charge on that okay well that's fine how can i do that how can i get that 1500 quid and it's it's either that it's either that you know they're going the range rover you don't do it or you go and take out a payday loan with interest Which, and, and cripple yourself for life. Yeah. And it won't surprise you to know that the uptake of uh, payday loans is quite high for black people. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it, and it's those, crazy. And think about those people where this year was their recent year. So last year they didn't oh, do so God, well. Yeah, this yeah. is their recent year. So you're kind of, it's like a double whammy, isn't it? So this yeah. is literally their last chance. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think that's, I think for some people in this country, and this is socioeconomic and it, and it is to do with, um, race as well but for some people in this country education is a part of your life you have to get through to get to your next step for other people in this country it's a chance and I think that's that's the issue that's why it's disproportionate some people will see their education as something they've just got to get through and they'll get through mm. the next level and and you imagine you imagine like somebody breezing through school breezing through just because their parents have got more money when for you it's an opportunity Someone else, it's their standard yeah, life. Have to do it. But for you, if you want to get further, you've got to work twice as hard. You've got to take it as an opportunity, yeah. a gift. It's a gift for you, but it's life for you. You'll just be fine. You just yeah. get on with it. And I suppose we could spend a lot of time talking about how unfair it is that our school system is such that you have some areas with really good schools yeah. and some areas with terrible schools, all funded by the same government. As yeah. I, think, I find that just astonishing, actually, depending on where you live. Um, you could be in a there's a school and it's a failing school or all of the outstanding schools in your area are oversubscribed and you can't get into them and yeah. and that changes the course of your life as well and and they've made it more strict as to where you can go yeah. so for example I remember when I was in secondary school it was nowhere near strict I went to one school and then my mum was like yeah actually after a year this isn't going to end well so <laughs> you're moving to another school <laughs> um, and Whereas now, that 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 doesn't happen mm. as much because you have to almost be. I mean, when I, even from primary school, when I was putting my daughters into to primary school, they had to be within a certain distance. Mm-hmm. And if it was even at like a road down, they're like, no, you're not in a catchment That's area. It. But why is that, Ed? Second... Why is that? Because poor black people all live together. So if they can exclude right, exactly. you from the right school, that's why it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. You're stuck in an area because this is where you've grown up because you cannot actually get out. Now they're telling you, no, you need to keep in this area and stay in this school, despite whatever the potential outcomes yeah. are going to be. And then for those ones that said, all right, you know what, I'm going to work extra, extra, extra hard despite everything to get myself out, you came and downgraded all their results. Yeah. And they're even more. Exactly. It's so yeah. frustrating. It, it, but it's I'm super happy that they've done the U-turn. Yeah. But it, again, it just showed the disregard mm. um, generally for for 
people and 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 people of from these ethnic backgrounds. It was horrible to see. And even on like an uh, even more basic level, mm. if you as a maybe a single mother and you work in the city, for example, and you think to yourself, "There's a school on the way to work that I could potentially put mm. my child in, which would make it easier for me to get to work," and you can't, then you've got to pay before school club, after school club, not really spend any time with your child. To, mm-hmm. to ensure that they get into this school which is just and it and then mm. you know at work you might get into work 15 minutes late every day or have to leave half an hour early every day it, it has a knock-on effect for all areas mm. of your life and I mean now okay mm. times are changing workplaces are becoming more flexible but think about when they weren't and think about the, the workplaces that aren't flexible you know mm. that aren't as flexible as as as, as others yeah. But think about the demographic that are always impacted by all of this, though. It's the same, right? Yeah. Exactly. You know? So I think that's what what it is. When we talk about systems, and I've mentioned this probably twice now, all of these systems are things that, again, it's not individuals or people that were saying, you are doing X, Y, and Z. This is just more bringing attention to the fact that there are all of these processes and systems in place that are allowing certain things to continue to happen over and over and over and over again. And I think the most dangerous part of it is if people are unaware of yeah, it. Absolutely. So, for example, a, 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 I, I, it's, a lot of people can sometimes listen to this and take it as a personal attack if uh, for being a middle white, a middle class white man or a white woman as a teacher. It's not a, a, an attack at them at all, but rather it's kind of showing that look, there are systems here that because of privilege. You may never have actually even thought about mm-hmm. or thought about the knock-on effects because you're not in that person's shoes to understand how it's affecting. Like you're saying, Shani, knock-ons to like work and how it affects your life or how it pushes children to have to go to extremes to have to provide. If people are understanding that, then it's difficult to fix a problem that you're unaware of. So in terms of like fixing it, um, you touched on it earlier on, the diversity amongst places like the gov- um, Board of Governors yeah. and, and things like that and how it's a community that needs to raise children. Absolutely. I have, I, I'm going to keep it real, I have no idea how I would go about joining some of those things because it's never occurred to me how important they were. I've always heard about governors and, and stuff at schools and there's parent governor meetings and mm-hmm. all of those stuff. My parents didn't have the time to go. They were working. Yeah, so, am I? Am I? Yeah, you're right. Um, so it's um, a little bit of, I guess, information on that and how, how do people join and, and so, how can we help? So for me, it's um, it's, it's a funny story, really. But if you've known me for 10 minutes, you know I'm very vocal. I'm very nosy. So um, what <laughs> I, I was reading our local paper and I just, you know, schools have to publish their results. It's It's legal. You know, we can see it. It's there. And I just happened to notice that, you know, we got some really bad levels of attainment in the school, which was literally 500 yards up the road from me. And then I was following the story. And then the week after, they said, we're after um, co-opted governors. And I was like, right, I'm going to go and be a governor at the school. I didn't know how to do it. I thought, oh, they're going to turn me away because I don't have any children at the school. Are they going to turn me away because I don't have any children? Are they going to think I'm a weirdo because I want to go and work, you know, for free with children? No. (laughs) So, you know, don't let any of that bother you. Um, And when you go to um, the school, they'll give you all the information you need. And I can absolutely guarantee you there probably aren't that many schools that wouldn't welcome some diversity in their governing board 
we have to remember the governing board is very, very important to the way a school runs. And essentially, the head teacher is accountable to the governing board. So you're talking pay rises, the head teacher gets them signed off by the governors. Head teacher challenge, accountability, that's all down to the governors. Now, if you wanted to, the other thing that you could be is the parent governor. The only thing I say about once you're a parent governor, if you have children in the school, unfortunately, you're always going to have eyes on the prize. Your kid is going to be your reason, your raison d'etre, and you're always going to want to push things for your children, yeah. which is absolutely natural. But I find that um, our parent governors are brilliant if the change they want to implement helps their child. So what I would say is if you can, try and govern at another school and a good thing about doing that is if there's something going on at your school and you think they've missed a trick because the school that you're working at is doing something, you can always collaborate in that respect. So contact your local school, say, I'm interested in becoming a governor. And once you're there, you know, all right, it is a few meetings after work now and again. You know, if you are like me and you happen to become the chair of governors or if you're a vice chair, you might be called in if there's an emergency or if there's something like that. But realistically it's it's quite rare um for me once the board of governors it to me it's like it's like a board of directors once you start to infiltrate that with diversity and mix your decisions are different your teachers that you want to empower will be different you will see in some that you don't see in others you're seeing some teachers and you think actually let's bring that teacher on or let's talk about that teacher and and, you know, lots of different things, because as we know, and, and I'm sure we've done the TED talk with where the woman talks about ESPN and, and she mm. says, you know, who do I hire? Do I hire a person from the ethnic minority or do I hire the best? And the guy turns around and says, yeah, mm. essentially we want we want the best of both, don't we? Mm. So once once that's in the, you know, the governing board, then that will infiltrate to your curriculum. You, you know, your children will start to mm. see you, you know. There's nothing special about me, but I can tell you our black children are excited when I come to give out the handwriting pens. They're very excited. <laughs> They're like, oh, she's here. She's coming to do the handwriting pens. It's, you know, it's aspiration for children, isn't it, to see yeah. that, that there's something else that they can do other than run fast or sing well. So, um, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's easy to join. And I promise you, you won't get any weird looks or anything like that. And I think, you know, it does take a village to raise our children. And, and, we, have to, and we have to be accountable as well. We have to be accountable to our children because realistically, if we know that the world doesn't see value in them, we have to see value in them. We have mm -hmm. to see it. So, you mm -hmm. know, I would love, I would love to start seeing more black governors, more black chairs that can, you know, really make decisions, really put their foot down and say, yep, yeah, that's what I want. And if anyone yeah. would like to contact me after, feel free. I'll talk to you about it. <laughs> she, she rounded up the whole podcast. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that, Ed. I stole your line, haven't I? <laughs> no, no, don't worry, don't worry. We've still got another line. Shani, Shani gets to steal the light, that line by every time anyway. So, um, like, I mean, that's been... I'll give her time to, to remember it because I know she's panicking, thinking, oh, no, I'm about to put her on the spot again. But honestly, like you said, I think what you, what you just summed up there is great. It's information that is super valuable to a lot of people. Um, even myself, like I'm going to look into it. I've, like I've, I've got three daughters. Ed, um, you know I will be checking. I I am going to try. Oh, soon change that sentence already. Anything. I'm going to do it. I'm yeah. going to try. 
I'm going to try and do it. I know. Do you know what would be great for a first on a podcast? If you can commit to me now that you're going to go to the girls' school and get the information about how to become a parent governor. Go on, Ed. You've got to. I want to go to another school. Yeah, well, that's fine. That's fine. (laughs) So, no. So, in fact, actually, no. What I'm going to do is. Here we go. In my area, I have a school down the road. I would actually, I'm going to go there and get the information because I think, again, I'm in an area in East London where we have a very, very, very diverse community. And I think it's something that I'd actually like to do there as opposed to, to being and we just at my daughter's school. Make sure that our listeners heard that commitment and hold him accountable. So if on the next podcast, wow, he doesn't say that he's done Shani, it. We'll, we'll, we'll follow up, Shani. We will. Can I just add something in? Um, so uh, even if you can't be on the board of governors, one of the things mm-hmm. I do in my spare time is I, I volunteer with an organisation that goes into school and teaches kids about financial literacy and business in, business enterprise. Um, and there are a lot of and and when you talk about a young black boy who's like um, who's bored and acting up, there's there's one little boy who I can who I can think of. And every time I go into the school, well, obviously not now, we have a conversation about his behaviour and what he's doing. This boy is exceptionally bright, but he is so bored. And even me going in there as a black woman, the the response that you get from these kids because they see you as like almost like a mum or yeah. someone who they can relate to, it's it makes a difference so so do get involved any way you can with schooling and like Amy says it does take a community to raise children so what I was going to ask actually sorry Amy about the time it takes in terms of how much time dedicate like a week or a month to some of the activities meetings and going into schools is there so so realistically schools are usually flexible so you can dedicate as much or as little time to it as you want so as far as meetings, you get a full governor's meeting every term. And um, within the um, school itself, you have different committees that you can be on. So um, you can be on, for example, outcomes. So that's a good committee to be on. And that's how I found out my black boys were failing. So I was on the outcomes committee. So I look at all the outcomes of all our data and say, right, why is this happening? You can be on the finance. So if you are, do you, you know, that's another thing about governing. I feel like I'm advertising for them now. But they, re- they really, really need people that work in business with other skills. So you just imagine a bunch of teachers. They get all this data. Now, teachers aren't stupid. They can read data. But, you know, they might get 10 years worth of data. They might need somebody, a governor who, you know, works in that field, can analyse their data, come back to them and go, X, Y and Z is a problem. According mm-hmm. to this, if you do A, B and C, we might be able to flatten the curve. You know, things like that. Right. So you can you can be as deeply involved or as um, less involved as you want. But I promise you that, you know, any school will, will be happy to have you because any resource from outside of education you know it's it's really really valued by schools i mean our schools um you know they're really interested in things like finance so none of the governors at our school you know they haven't got a clue you give them a spreadsheet that you know don't know what to do like what what is this so they're really interested in things like that so if you've got any finance backgrounds your schools will love you any data analytics schools will love you so yeah, and you can just say, look, I'm not interested in doing this, you know, every day of my life, but mm. I'm happy to attend one committee and one meeting once a term. And, and yeah, you, you can do that. Love it. Cool. No, that sounds really good. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Amy for you are welcome, an Ed. amazing, amazing guest 
imparting so much knowledge, mm-hmm. so much information. And I think generally we just had a really good chat, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I think this is we've, I don't think we've, we've discussed everything. There's still a lot more to it, but we've definitely, definitely more than scratched the surface. And I think it will give all of our listeners something to think about and um, go and mull over this week. Come back. So, <laughs> and we love your passion. Exactly. And we again, the if, there, if well. there is, this is it. Um, and for everyone that's listening, please continue the conversation. When we post these links out um, to the podcast, if there's something you agree with, if there's something you don't disagree or something you don't agree with and you do disagree with anything raised, mention it in, in, in the comments. We, we're here to, for discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an argument. It's not a right and wrong. We're here to discuss. So please feel free to kind of share your comments on it as well. And it, um, we look forward to that. So before we head out, Shani, your moment of truth. This has been the Remix Podcast where we rebuild re-educate and redefine the way we talk about, think about and deal with race. Well done. Almost. There was a little, the little no, I didn't hear anything. Do you know, uh, you, you are I'm, the enemy I'm, of I'm Shani. Shani is out of order. Ignore him. Is it? I mean... <laughs> No, she said something earlier on, so I feel like I need to get back. I can't remember what. But it, was. it wasn't on. It wasn't on the podcast, though, Ed. Come on now. Too much now, Ed. Oh, no. oh, I was just going to thank you. Is I was going to thank no. you for having me on, but oh, thanks, no. Shani. Shani, thank you for having me on. Thanks, Amy. And you know thank what we're going to so do? Much. We're going to start a trend. Hashtag cancel horrid Ed. <laughs> we can't oh, cancel. Like do you know what, Ed? It, if the voice, if you didn't have the voice, you'd be on the list. But because you've got the voice, I suppose you better stay exactly. with right, that lovely voice. Call, we can just call him hashtag horrid he- horrid Ed. That's what we'll call you. Yeah. Oh, Russ, I'll take your job and say you that at the end. <laughs> you've listened to the remix podcast. Oh no! Oh no! You're up. <laughs> Let's end this now. I'm done. Yeah, I think you're done. <laughs>